0: everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship today, and I have a message of encouragement for you. Uh, If you came here today and said, I don't need any encouragement today, well, no one ever said that. Okay, we don't get too much encouragement today. I'm going to give you a lot of encouragement straight from God's Word, and it deals with our whole topic, our, our series is entitled Identity. Sometimes we don't know who we are in Christ, and so we walk around discouraged and defeated because we believe a lot of things that aren't true, and so We uh, go through life kind of trudging through when we should be enjoying the day, we should be making the most of opportunities, and it's because we don't have the right thoughts going through our brain. And so today, I've got a lot of encouragement for you, and it's this, inside of your bulletin you'll find an outline where I'm headed today, and that's the truth, that I am made by God. And so, would you repeat just that statement with me, please? I am made by God. There are a lot of implications that go with that, and if we don't believe that, well, then we're going to believe some wrong things, and we don't need to, because life is hard enough without us giving in to all kinds of criticisms and getting our identity from what people think about us or maybe from our circumstances. We need to get our identity from God's Word, because then we can make good decisions and live life to the full. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I want us to make good decisions and live life to the full, and many times we don't. Because we believe the wrong things. We start off on the wrong foot. So I pray that today you'll speak, move me out of the way, and say what you want us to know about what it means to be made by you and how that applies to our lives. We pray these things together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, if you need a pen, just raise your hand. If you didn't get one on the way in, you're going to want to take some notes on this. Uh, this whole thing, uh, this in a series, we want to talk about this because, uh, again, we struggle with identity in our culture and where we get our identity. I mean, uh, you may not know this, but a shocking statistic that Brandon, our student minister, made me aware of was this. Uh, we were talking about cell phones in regard to this series and all this about where we get our identity. And uh, 10 years ago, nobody uh, checked their phone in the middle of the night. I mean, 0% because people just didn't do it. Right now, between uh, people between the age of 25 and 35, they check their, 77% of people check their phones in the middle of the night. 77%. And a lot of checking the phones comes back to, hey, what'd you, how'd you react to my post? What did you think about that? How many likes did I get? I mean, we're to the place now where people will take a picture of themselves in a certain outfit. and If they don't get enough likes, they throw it away. It's really true. People can be driven to the point of despair because nobody responded to something that they thought was funny or somebody started criticizing them on social media and other people piled on and people have been driven to desperate acts just because of social media. So we can get our identity from a phone and that'll tell me what my self-worth is. I might get my self-worth from my circumstances. I'm going through hard times and if I'm going through hard times, it means God doesn't love me. If I'm going through hard times, it means or, struggles, or I'm having some setbacks, it means that I'm worthless. And none of those things are true. Not according to God's word. And so today, as I said, I want to counteract some bad information that's all around us. And it's reinforced by our phone. And you'll see this as we go through. So Right, to start right off, here's the scripture for the day. The header up here is Ephesians 2:10. For we are God's workmanship, in some translations His handiwork, His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I'm going to be talking about some implications about what that means. If I am made by God, I mean, if I'm made by God, then I am His handiwork. I mean, if somebody knit you a sweater and they had worked hard on it, and they handed it to you, they would be very proud of it, and they'd say, hey, I made this for you, and I have plans for you to use it. And I love it when people hand me things like this. Some, some people uh, do wonderful things with whittling. Some people do wonderful things with a paintbrush and can do, and paint an amazing picture, but they hang it up, and they want people to enjoy it. They have plans for it and a purpose for it. Well, what if you and I thought about ourselves that way? But all too often, we've allowed our whole culture to seep in and say, hey, you're just a random collection of molecules. There's no purpose for you. Nobody created you. Nobody designed you. There's no purpose. And when things are going bad, it just means you're probably defective. Have a nice day. And that sinks in and seeps in, and we begin to believe things that aren't true. This is where our theology matters. So point A is, I am made by God. Can you say it again with me, please? I am made by God. We're going to keep unpacking all this. A couple of implications. I am created in God's image. I am created in God's image. Where do I get that idea? The that idea? first page of the Bible. When God created human beings, Adam and Eve, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, the wild animals on the earth, the small animals that scurry along the ground. And so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. Has nothing to do with whether you're male or female, has nothing to do with the color of someone's skin, has nothing to do with their economic position, has nothing to do with their with our age. We're created in God's image, which means we can reason, which means we can uh, be creative and think and purpose to do things just like he does. It means that we have the spiritual capacity to have a personal relationship with God himself. None of the animals he created have that capacity. We are unique in this, and we're above all the others. And that's why we're his crowning achievement in all of his creation, created in his image. I mean, think about that again. What if my image is determined by what people say about me? What if my image of myself is determined by my circumstance? Times are good. I'm great. Times are bad. I'm terrible. 25 likes, not enough. I'm awful. 100 likes, I'm better. Really? Is this the way we're going to run our lives? And God wants us to know, no, you're created in my image. I mean, this is why it's such a terrible thing in the New Testament. James says, how can we praise God with our mouths in one minute and the next minute curse others who are created in his image? He says, my brothers, this may not be. This must not be. If I'm created in God's image, it not only impacts uh, impacts how I think about myself, but how I think about you. Because you are created in God's image. And therefore, every single person is valuable to God much more than any animal. He wants a relationship with us, and we have the capacity for that because we're created in his image. I mean, let that sink in. In Psalm 8, David said, what is man that you are mindful of him? That the creator of the universe would want a relationship with me. Hmm. I'm created in God's image. Can we say that together, please? I am created in God's image. Number two, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So I am wonderfully made. Some of us go, Well, I don't feel like Mr. Wonderful today. I'm not feeling too wonderful. Again, we go back to performance, we go back to circumstance. We go back to what others are saying about us. Yeah, there are a lot of people tell us, well, you're not too wonderful. I don't feel too wonderful. This isn't about feelings. It's about faith in our facts of what God says about us. Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. I am wonderfully made. Would you say that together with me, please? I am wonderfully made. Now think about this. What if we actually believed this? You go, well, John, you don't know me. Yeah, I know there's a false identity here that goes out. It's in your bulletin there. I am a mistake, and God didn't make me right. So I have another line here, Matt, I am not a mistake. And this is so important for us to understand. In fact, If you do me a favor on your bulletin, if you open it up flat like this, you'll see some questions that we have for our connectors. There's some quotes on the top upper left-hand side. The second quote is a quote from Helen Keller, a woman who was born without sight and without the ability to hear. She never saw and she never heard. Okay, so uh, the Lord has been, uh, so much has been given to me that I have not time to ponder over that which has been denied. Helen Keller. If you go up to Washington D.C. and want a tour of the capital, the nation's capital, it's interesting to have a, a, a gathering area, a reception area, and there are statues of dignitaries and well-known people from each state. For the state of Alabama, we have Helen Keller's statue. And the statues that are there, what is really interesting is, is that um, they have uh, there are signs on all of them: "Do not touch. Do not touch, except for Helen Keller's." you can touch hers all you want because that's how she saw through her fingers. And it would be wrong for us not to touch them. And she said, even though she had so many disadvantages in many people's minds, her statement was, so much has been given to me, I don't have time to ponder over that which has been denied. She never once considered herself a mistake. I mean, do you understand the implications on this? for dealing with anybody who has special needs or a physical disability? Do you understand the implications of this in a society where many people who are shamed because of their body image, are shamed into anorexia and bulimia and all kinds of eating disorders because they don't believe they're fearfully and wonderfully made. They believe they're defective and they're a mistake. Do you understand how this fits into the whole transgender discussion? I was born in the wrong type of body. Do you understand how this fits into the whole idea of abortion? This baby was a mistake. It's not a being anyway. It's not fearfully and wonderfully made, and I can destroy it. Do you understand? When we get this image wrong, it goes to euthanasia and getting rid of people if they're no longer useful to society. We don't need health care for them. They're not created in God's image. They're defective people. We must not get this wrong. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are not mistakes. But, y'all, we have to embrace this ourselves. And our culture says exactly the opposite. And we say, unless you are a supermodel or an Olympic athlete or a Rhodes Scholar or whatever status might qualify for good enough or superior then you're not worth much. And yet what's so funny is we could could name more people than we could even count on both hands, people who are rich and famous and beautiful. They run through marriages like water. They're in and out of rehab and many of them take their own lives. And they had it all. Hey, wait, I thought if you were beautiful, you had it all. Hey, I thought if you were rich, you had it all. Hey, I thought if you were smart, you had it all. And even though they had many things on the outside, they didn't have peace on the inside. That's what we're talking about here. Helen Keller, so much has been given to me. I don't have time to ponder over that, which has been denied. What if we looked at our lives that way? What if I really believed that I am made by God, I'm created in His image, I am wonderfully made, and I'm not a mistake? What if I believed that? What if you did? Does that mean I will never have hard times in my life? Of course not. Does that mean I will never make a bad decision in my life and suffer the consequences of it? Of course not. What it means is when I'm going through those hard times, my identity isn't based on my circumstance. My identity isn't based on what people tell me I am. My identity is based on God's Word, and at center point we believe that God's Word is our guide in all matters of faith and practice, especially how we think about ourselves. I want us to say these two lines together, please. I am wonderfully made. I am not a mistake. There are people all around us who need to hear this. I was shocked going to a uh, suicide prevention workshop last year, and they were sharing statistics. They said they're a high-risk group in Alabama. They were talking about people who live right here in Alabama, and they were talking about, well, there's people in... Uh, Population groups that are at high risk, and one you would expect were teenagers who get a lot of their identity from social media. The next high-risk group, men over the age of 65 who'd retired. Their identity was based on their job. They didn't have their job, and so there was no need for them anymore. Teenagers and retired men. Where do we get our identity from what others say, from what we do, from circumstance? Are we going to get our identity from God who said, I made you in my image and I love you? And that brings us to the next point. I am very valuable to God. Now, I want to go back and read the scripture. I want you to hear what Isaiah 45 says. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator. Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it saying, Stop, you're doing it wrong. Does the pot exclaim, How clumsy can you be? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to its father, Why was I born? Or if it said to its mother, Why would you make me this way? And yet this is what goes on in our culture, and that's why there's so much sorrow. We misunderstand this completely. Because we are valuable to God. James 1.18 reminds us that he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. We are the crown jewels of of his creation. Jesus talked about this in Luke 12. What's the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins, two pennies? Yet God does not forget a single one of them, and the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. I mean, Jesus said this. The God of heaven knows the number of hairs on our head. A friend of mine who's a little older than me and his hair is thinning said, yeah, that's not as hard to count as it used to be, but um, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, he made you and me. And we dare not get this wrong. Here's another warning, another false identity. I am worthless and God doesn't care about me. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Because I am valuable to God. Can we say that together, please? I am valuable to God. Here's what the people of Jerusalem said. Lord's deserted us. Lord's forgotten us. Getting their identity from their circumstances, they were going through a hard time. Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, I've written your name on the palms of my hands. I mean, if you know a nursing mother, can you imagine her forgetting her child? Not one chance in a million. And the Lord says, well, you don't even know the tenth part then of how much I love you. You're created. I created you in my image so I could have a relationship with you. I made you wonderfully. You are not a mistake. You are valuable to me. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine if we thought this way? Can you imagine if we express this to ourselves? All too often we do not. And we buy in to all of those false identities. And then just like Isaiah was saying, what sorrow awaits those who get it wrong. On the flip side here, I want to tell you all, there is a whole bunch of good news. There are even more implications of this. I mean, it's like one of those TV ads. And if you order now, we'll throw in another one for free, shipping included. I got, this is all good news on the backside. Because I am made by God, because I'm made by God, God knows all about my failures and my weaknesses and loves me anyway. Now, this is one where I need a shout. I'm going to read that again because this is the best news you can possibly hear. And just a hallelujah and amen, anything. God knows all about my failures and weaknesses and loves me anyway. Amen. Amen. Now, look, what if we believe this? that God loves me. He knows exactly who I am. John, are you sure? Yep, Psalm 33. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. He made their hearts, so he understands everything they do. I mean, these are implications of God making us. Since he made us, he knows exactly what's going on. Does he really know what we're thinking? Oh, yeah. Well, if he knows what we're thinking, he must hate us. no. The Lord's like a father to his children, Psalm 103, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, for he knows how weak we are. He remembers we're only dust. You talk to any parent, that child's headed for the cookie jar, and you know it, and you know it, and you've told them not to go to the cookie jar, they're going to the cookie jar. You can see it, the hand is moving. And they're daring you. And you have to discipline them, and you do all that, but it doesn't change your love for them one smidge. It changes where you put the cookie jar. <laughs> but you are not changing your love for them. Now, how is it that we outlove God? We don't. God loves us so much he sent his own son. Listen to this. For God loved the world so much he gave his one and only son, John 3:16), so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge or condemn the world but to save the world through him. So God knew all about us. Yes. And he sent his son anyway. Yes. Why? Because he loves us that much. Now this is incredible. Because I am made by God, the God who made me knows exactly how sinful I am. Never forget this. God sent his son into the world to save the world because we need saving. That's why we confess our sins to him. It's no secret to him. Well, Why would he come die for me while I'm a rebellious sinner? Because God loves you that much. He sent his own son to die in your place. He loves you that much. Now think how this would change my attitude. If I would start out my day and I would say, Oh, God loves me. Does it mean I will have, never have a hard times in my life? No, Jesus told his disciples, You will have many trials and tribulations. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I'm with you. I love you. As a parent, does it mean I never discipline my children? Of course not. You could write Hebrews 12 in the margin here. Hebrews 12. God disciplines those whom he loves. So if I'm going through a hard time sometimes, yeah, sometimes we're going through a hard time because we did something we need to stop doing. God's trying to change my attitude. Maybe he's trying to change the way I talk. Maybe he's trying to change the way I think. Maybe he's trying to get rid of a bad habit. That's going to ruin the plans he has for me. And you're going to see that that's coming. Point two. God knows all about my failures and weaknesses. And chooses to use me. Anyway. God loves me. And God chooses to use me. He made me. And he wants to use me. If I make myself a broom. I'm making it so I can sweep. If I make myself a hammer. I'm going to use it to drive a nail. If I make a beautiful painting, I'm going to hang it on the wall so I can enjoy it. I made it for a purpose. You and I are made for a purpose. And you go, well, John, I'm no Rembrandt. And when you, I mean, God didn't seem like Rembrandt to me. I'm no amazing portrait on the front side there where where his handiwork or maybe his masterpiece. I'm no masterpiece. Well, there's good news for you. Listen to this. uh, First Corinthians 1. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise, and he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. I heard uh, there's a Southern Baptist preacher who died a, a number of years ago, Adrian Rogers. He's still on, on a radio broadcast on Christian radio at various places. And, uh, and a while back, I heard a, a message by him, and he was talking about this passage. And the church where he was speaking at the time, he was asking people in the audience to hold up their hands if they had ever been an all-state athlete or if they had um, ever Uh, won a scholarship to college or if they had ever won a beauty contest. Had them all raise their hands and people applaud and he said, you know, God might be able to use you anyway. The rest of you though, God's going to use all of you for sure. He said, I've got good news for you. If you're none of those things, God takes even more delight in you because nobody's going to chalk it up to your great skill. Nobody's going to chalk it up To your great abilities, when God comes shining through, they're going to give him all the glory, and that's what he's after. Now think about that. But here's the false identity. I'm defective. God can use others, but he can't use me. Not me. You think, oh, come on, John. People in the Bible struggle with this? All over the place. Let me give you one that's point-blank obvious. God is speaking to Moses from a burning bush. Moses has been a fugitive for 40 years. He killed a man in Egypt and ran from the law, basically. Forty years later, God appears to him in a bush that's burning. He's out shepherding. He's an old man, and he goes over to the bush and because he sees it burn. It keeps on burning. and never burns up, and, he, and God starts speaking to him from this burning bush. And he says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. You're the man I chose for the job. Go do it. And Moses says, I can't do it. In fact, here's what Moses said. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been. I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. And then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I'll be with you as you speak, and I'll instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Anyone feel like breaking in a chorus of onward Christian soldiers right now? Yeah, probably not. What? This is Moses. The guy who got the Ten Commandments given to him on stone tablets by God himself. I mean, God took that guy from that place and turned him into a great leader. And you know what his instructions were? Moses, I'm not doing this to bring you glory anyway. Now go, I made your mouth. Just be obedient to say whatever I tell you. And Moses going, Lord, send somebody else. Can I tell you, this is something I've gone through in ministry so many times in my life. People ask me, when I go, because sometimes I go to situations, They go, how can you be prepared for all these different situations when people call you in the middle of the night or they've been through some crisis or things? How do you know what to say? And I say, well, I don't. In fact, I count on exactly this type of situation as I'm driving over there. I'm going... Lord, you've got to give me the words to say. Lord, you've got to give me the words to say. Lord, I don't know what I'm walking into here. I'm not sure how to respond to this. Please give me the right words. And without fail, time after time, God will remind me of a passage in the Bible, or he'll remind me of something that someone shared with me once, or he'll bring to mind something, and it'll be exactly right. I remember a while back, somebody was going through an extremely painful situation where a loved one had died, and they were just in the most bitter time of grief And I walked into the situation. I was praying, Lord, give me the words to say. Please give me the words to say. And nothing came. And I was waiting on the Lord to show me something to say, and I didn't have anything to say. I stayed there about 20 minutes. Nothing came. I couldn't think of anything to say. And I just prayed for the person. I told them I'd be in touch with them, and I left. I got a note from them a while later. And they said, thank you for coming and not saying anything to me. That was exactly what I needed. I'd gotten in the car on the way out going, Lord, was the receiver off? I didn't get anything. Do you know the Lord knew that they needed me to say nothing? Now, if you ask my wife if John Schmidt can sit in a room and say nothing for 20 minutes, if that's not a miracle, okay, she'll tell you it's a miracle. (laughs) Do you know what God wanted me to say in that circumstance? Nothing. Nothing. You don't need a seminary degree to do that. I just need to be obedient. God chooses to use me. He chooses to use you. Let's say these two things together, please. God loves me. God chooses to use me. Wow. And what if we actually believed that? I can't lead a small group. I I, I don't talk too good. Well, see Exodus 4. I can't go on a mission trip. I've never even been out of the country. What a great time to go. What if we believed this? God has plans for me. I mean, he can use me. He has a plan for me. Got a plan for that hammer I made. Got a plan for that table. Got a plan for those chairs. I made them. Didn't make them to put them in storage. Made them so we could sit around the dining room table and have fun. Have great meals together. That's why I made the furniture. I mean, who would ever think of making furniture and then locking it away? God made you and me. If we believe that God made me and that he loves me, he wants to use me, well, then he must have plans for me. This changes the way we think about everything. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. The Lord will work out his plans for my life, for your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Psalm 138, the other was Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven. I could give you scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture reference of God has plans for you and me. And you go, well, what are the plans? Well, here's the key to figuring them out. Life application, in order to discover God's plans for my life, I must surrender, listen, pray, and obey. We say those words together many, many times here at CenterPoint because this is the key to having a right relationship with God. It always begins with surrender. How in the world is God going to share his plans with me if I tell him, "Uh, no? Hey, John, I need you. No, not going. Not going there. Not doing that. You can use me anywhere else, Lord. Yeah. Then don't bother saying Lord. If I'm your Lord, that means I'm your king. I know the plans I have for you. Go where I send you. Just be obedient. You'll be amazed. You'll be so surprised at how things turn out. I've got an excellent plan for your life. Psalm 32, 8 and 9, the Lord says, I'll guide you along the best pathway for your life. I'll advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Do not. Oh, mercy. On my dad's farm growing up, we had a senseless horse. Her name was Kate. That was the most stubborn horse you've ever seen. She must have been half mule. My dad got so mad at that horse, my goodness, every time you'd ride her somewhere, if she decided she wanted to go home, she was going home, and she was taking you with her. <laughs> okay. And it didn't matter how you pulled the reins, she was going to the barn. We didn't keep that horse long. Anyway, the idea is nobody wants a horse that you can't guide. Nobody wants a horse like that. I want a horse that's going to go, if I tell it to go. I know it's better for the horse than the horse does. Now think about this. We're kidding ourselves if we think we're anywhere close to God's understanding of life as a horse's understanding is compared to ours. Why do we fight him? And God says, don't. Just surrender. I've got plans for you that'll make you dance. But see, this is where it goes back to our image again. We don't We don't embrace all this. And we go, well, Lord, if if you have plans for me, then how come people don't like me as much as somebody else? And Lord, if you have plans for me, how come I'm going through this hard time? Lord, I've been praying that you'd make me a better leader, and now I'm just in this situation where I have to provide direction for all these people over and over again. You mean like leadership? Oh, well, yeah. Lord, I'm praying to be a courageous person, and I have to go through these scary circumstances over and over again. Yeah, I'm trying to teach you about courage. Lord, I'm kind of shy, and I'd like to be able to engage people more. That's why I put you in a position where they're pushing you in front of people. Mm. So you're not trying to make me happy all the time. Mm -mm. And that brings us to the last thing. God will supply everything I need. Some of you wrote in there, want. Please cross that out. You're wrong. Okay? Okay? God will not supply everything you want. He will supply everything you need. And the same God who takes care of me, Paul said, will supply all your needs from His glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. Jesus Himself, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. He'll give you everything you need. Why? Because He made me. He loves me. He chooses to use me. He has plans for me. And if I surrender to him, he'll provide everything I need for his plans. I mean, you understand how this works together, right? And this is great news. I don't have to go through life trying to get people to like me. I don't have to base my self-worth on my circumstances. I can base my self-worth on what God's Word says about me. And you know what His Word says about me? His Word says that I am created in His image. I am wonderfully made. I am not a mistake. I am valuable to God. He loves me. He chooses to use me. He has plans for me, and He's going to supply everything I need. I mean, some of you have heard me share about this gal before, but I was reminded of it again today. and I was encouraging people at it. The 8 o'clock service, to go and write these things down on a sticky note. And there was a, a young girl that did a funeral for when she was 15 years old. And she died tragically in a car accident. And her mom was glad to share with me this young girl, uh, something she did. She took these sticky notes and wrote out all these things, these types of things she'd read through her Bible. And she would have notes. Her name was Ashley. And she'd go, Ashley, you're a child of God. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. Ashley, God has plans for you. Just just be obedient. And she'd have a scripture next to that. Ashley, don't pay so much attention to what other people say about you. And she'd have a scripture reference to that. And at her funeral, a whole stack of like sticky notes. She's 15. Putting me to shame. I mean, what if we did this? What if we actually every day woke up and said, God, I know you love me. And if you things are hard today, I'm going to trust in you. God, I know you have plans for me. I'm going to surrender to whatever you want me to do, no matter what it is. If you want me to speak, I'll speak. If you want me to be silent, I'll be silent. If you want me to go, I'll go. If you want me to stay, I'll stay. Because you got plans for me and I trust your plans over my plans. You made me. I am wonderfully made. I'm not a mistake. And I'm valuable to you. Some of you needed to hear that today. I hope you take this as God's word, that he is watching out for you and he's reminding you that that's why he sent his son to die for you on the cross. Never forget his great love. Never forget his plans for you. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Lord, we set up this whole church to be a place where we could equip people to do ministry, but we can't equip people who won't go. And God, we're the ones who stand in the way of our own best future over and over again because we won't trust you and we don't believe you really made us. And so today, Lord, I pray that you lit a fire in us that we would believe your word and believe you. Lord, that we would get our identity from your word. Your word is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord, we want to practice our faith according to the Bible. Oh, please, Jesus. Forgive us for our sins. There are many. And forgive us for our unbelief and our doubt. Forgive us for our pity parties when we say, oh, woe is me. And we don't even celebrate all the good things you've done. Help us make the most of what we've got. Keep us from complaining about what we don't. If the Lord spoke to you about something, something I went through today really resonated with you, would you say, Lord, I needed to hear that today and I'm glad I was here. Just pray right now, silently where you are, he'll hear you. Lord, thank you for letting me hear that today. In the name of Christ I pray, amen.